Hi everyone, I'm Michelle. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome back to Books and Beyond with Bound, Season 2, which is our quarantine edition. Before we tell you about our episode today, let me tell all of you that Tara's recent tweet has gone viral. She confessed that when she had pitched this podcast idea to a very popular producer in India, she was rejected. And now we are at 21,000 downloads. Tara, I mean, your reaction to rejection is commendable. Oh, thank you, Michelle. You know, we believed in this idea, so we wanted to go ahead no matter what. So speaking about rejection we spoke to a really interesting guest this episode Parmesh Sahani who is the author of the genre bending book Queeristan so he actually mentioned that his pet peeve is when people play devil's advocate and sometimes reject your out of the box idea and I and I totally understand because sometimes even I'm like okay is it really necessary to play devil's advocate here So Parmesha <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah so Parmesha has faced so many challenges because of his resilient attitude and because of that he has brought about change in the Indian workplace like no one else and that's what the book discusses yeah and we found out how he wrote that so Queeristan is a book which covers you know the LGBTQ inclusion in the workplace and he has done a really great job with you know his work with Godrej Culture Lab so we have never read a book like this before it's a business book which has personal anecdotes and it it is so relatable like i could really relate to so many references in the book and i'm sure many readers will also be able to relate to the conversation in the episode because he just throws bollywood references like you know it's an everyday thing and that made it a lot of fun talking to him yeah bollywood references in a business book was interesting and definitely made it relatable and i also liked in the interview when he was like you know when we were starting the podcast and we were explaining to him what it's about and he said you know i'm like shri devi i do things in one shot and i love that about him i love the confidence hopefully you guys will enjoy the episode it's full of as michelle said interesting insights a lot of his own personal stories and how he wrote this business book I'm sure anybody who's interested in these very relevant issues um, and also wants to know more about Parmesh's own life and business practices will love the book. Welcome, Parmesh. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so, Parmesh, for our listeners who don't know uh, much about your books, can you tell us a little bit about both of your books, please? Sure. So, the first one is called "Gay Bombay: Globalization, Love, and Belonging in Contemporary India." The original title was called "Disco Jalebi," and uh, but of course, you know, as a as a book, we thought "Gay Bombay" was a better title. and it came out in oh i love that title <laughs> disco jalebi it's so exciting <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know these days book titles also have to be like uh, searchable as words yeah. <laughs> sage sage also love that title but they said uh, you know is line mein books ko bechna bhi hai so <laughs> we went with the other title and actually an updated version of it came out this june as well which i'm very very happy so that is the first book which was academic and queeristan is it looks at lgbtq inclusion in the indian workplace so that is part memoir part manifesto very much a business book but it's many other things it's a personal diary um i write about queer movies tv tiktok parties job fairs india abroad you know my love life uh, uh i talk about you know family and why it matters so it's very much like a full on bollywood masala film uh, with the central theme of inclusion acceptance the reasons why inclusion matters steps that companies can take 
but all surrounded with a whole lot of fun and masala. So, so Parmesh, yeah, your book is a business book unlike anything I'd ever read. You know, I'd never read a book, as you said, full of masala, your personal stories and all of those things. So why this format? So I wrote the format because I wanted it to be read by different audiences. And I thought for both these audiences, you know, as straight as well as queer, but also business audiences as well as non-business audiences, right? Because I really thought that the book could um, would resonate with a wide range of audiences. And I thought for all these multiple audiences, um, it's very important to have deeply personal stories because typically business books, as you as you indicated, right, tend to have a certain voice, a certain tone um, and might not be the most exciting or fun reads. Uh, and I said that, you know, I want this to be a very, very masaledar read. So this does have statistics. It does have numbers. It does have case studies. They're all, you know, wrapped up in, incredible stories of people that I have met along the way, both LGBTQ as well as allies in the corporate world and, and outside the corporate world. Uh, my own personal, you know, surreal life and journey. I wanted it to be an exciting, uh, compelling business book, so, which is why I did, I did, I used the format that I did. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't boring. You know, I could read it in almost one one or two goals. Whereas in other business books, you know, you have to take it, digest the information, then let it sit. Um, so because you were working across formats, it really kept the narrative going. But I'm curious to know, you know, when you presented this format to your editor, what was the reaction and what are some of the reactions that you have been getting from the different audiences that you've pitched, uh, that, you know, you want to pitch this book to? What you are reading is like half of what the manuscript was. And, you know, so I'm glad that, you know, uh, Kartika Janani, the incredible Westland team helped in chop and shape it. And then it was very much of how, why do you know, does it need to be so personal? So a lot of our back and forth tussles were about that, right? So the way I use language, for example, right? I'll say, yaar, are, chalo, you know, I've written it very much like you're sitting next to me and like, you know, we're having a conversation. You know, she's like, is that too jarring for a business book, right? Um, so ultimately, it was a very rewarding experience of both of us taking a leap of faith. As Simi auntie says in Indian matchmaking, it's all about adjustment and compromise. <laughs> Any good relationship. <laughs> so certainly an editor-author editor relationship so is very much about adjustment and compromise. And I think like a good marriage in this case, I think it worked. <laughs> It, it definitely worked, uh, Parmesh. You know, so, so for me, the personal stories really worked because I don't really read much of nonfiction, but that was exactly what I was looking for in your book. And so we wanted to know what kind of incidents, um, you know, did you pick, like out of all the incidents that have happened, how did you choose certain um, incidents to include it in the book and why? Again, very outcome driven. I was very clear right from the beginning that this is a book about advocacy. I have written it to change people's hearts and minds. Present through the book almost a watertight case, although now we have to ask, should one be making a case at all for something that should be so obvious that LGBTQ inclusion is important and vital and necessary and useful and profitable? Throughout the book, when I was reading it, and it was so interesting, but I had the exact same thought. I was like, why do we need to make this case? It's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so, correct, right? So, 
even I felt that. But then I said, we live in a world where we need to make these cases because it's not an equal. So every story that is in the book, every number which is in the book, every incident from my own life that I've chosen to share in the book is with that outcome in mind. I want people reading this to be moved. Um, you know, I want them to be moved at a mind level, but also the stories. When Mohul, who is a trans man at Lalit, when the Lalit pays for Mohul's uh, gender affirmation surgery and ensures Mohul that, uh, you know, the organization is behind Mohul, come what may. What that does, not only to Mohul and his professional success, but also what that does in terms of the ecosystem Mohul has created at home, right? Um, so I wanted all these stories to come through, right? My own story, right? Of what it means to be at a Godridge when your company embraces you and helps you flourish. Um, so many incredibly moving stories of individuals, activists, community organizations. So I really wanted to show all these stories, share all these positive stories, and take the reader on this journey to make the reader understand that, you know, there is so much happening on the ground in contemporary India. All these names, all these examples that you have put into the book, I mean, they are unforgettable, you know, in their own way. I think everyone is a star and that's what I loved about your book. I was just telling Tara after I read your book that even though it's a nonfiction book, these characters come alive in such a way that, you know, like it's like it's fiction, you know, like in fiction, how characters really come alive on the page. You've done that very well in the book. And I've also worked in HR. So, you know, I really understand that it's very important to create an inclusive atmosphere for your um employees and i was really curious um parme so if uh, you know you're trying to convey the same knowledge to an audience who are not readers how do you uh, think such an audience would get access to such stories i've done it by recording the audible version of the book <laughs> wow. oh, that's, that's great just like just like this podcast yes uh, shameless plug audible i love you um, <laughs> Audible also gives more royalty, huh? by the way, for anyone who's listening. It's more than print. Uh, <laughs> so any author who's listening, please do audiobook. You will get more. Huh. Um, how do we reach out? I do, I do whatever it takes. As one of my icons, Rakhi Savan says, and I quote, Jo diktai wo So I do whatever it takes to go out there and get the message across, right? So for people who don't read, um, I give talks, I talk to any organization that wants to hear. But I think media is really, really important in this as well. So whether it's podcasts like yours, I think it's very important that now we have so many films, uh, TV series, uh, other books, web series that talk about, uh, you know, a wide range of queer lives and experiences, right? And these are not just in English or Hindi, but in languages like Kannada or Marathi. So I think it's very important that one can share these. So for anyone who doesn't want to read, I mean, you know, buy audiobooks is my first recommendation. But number two, it's all around you. I mean, there's so much now happening in our country that you can access to learn more about queer lives, uh, queer dreams, queer aspirations. So just go out and engage with the content. It's there. But coming back to your book, you know, uh, we read about the, the you use two terms, jogad resistance and cultural acupuncture, which is very, very different. I hadn't heard something like this before. So could you explain to our listeners, what do these terms mean? Yeah, so jogad resistance is, uh, you know, I've written about the kind of work I do at Godridge, which is where you kind of uh, locate yourself within the, within the institution or within the form. 
So if you're in the government, if you're in a corporation, if you're in a school, if you're in a college, right? My thing is you can you can figure out how you can use your own place in the system to bring about change, right? So if you're in a college, you can start an LGBTQ association, right? If you're in the corporate world, you can bring about change in so many ways, whether it's in changing policies, uh, sensitizing your coworkers, and you know, hiring more queer people and so on. Uh, LGBTQ rights is something that I care about and which is what this book is about. But you may care about the environment, you may care about climate change, you may care about uh, Black Lives Matter, you may be, uh, care about um, the anti-caste movement in our country, or you may care about issues that are at the intersection of many of these things, right? A cultural acupuncture is a term that I've uh, you know, borrowed from the Harry Potter Alliance, and I write about this in the book, and how in the Harry Potter Alliance, Andrew Slack uh, uses the term in very particular ways. Uh, to talk about how there are so many fans and activists around the world who use the Harry Potter universe cup framework uh, to help imagine and then create uh, changes in their real world. I uh, love that part because yeah. <laughs> Sharmai are Harry Potter fans. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but I've kind of used the word in a slightly different sense. I use the word to kind of talk about the various cultural uh, experiments that I have been doing uh, over the past decade from both within Godridge as out, as well as outside using the Godridge vantage point uh, to bring about the different kinds of changes, right? So within Godridge, whether it is, you know, in uh, pushing for change in HR policies or doing the kind of programming that we did through the Culture Lab, ensuring that the organization, you know, uh, supports queer festivals um, and outside Godridge, as well by, you know, pushing Goldrich to join alliances, collaborate with organizations like the UN to host uh, standard releases, inspire other companies and share our policies and practices with them. So to me, culture acupuncture is knowing, knowing what to press and where to bring about the change um, that you want to bring about in society. Yeah, your work with uh, the Godrej Lab is so fascinating, Kurmesh. We just love how you engage with culture, art, cinema, everything, you know. So we wanted to know when it comes to literature, who are, uh, you know, the biggest influences on your writing and which books have helped you see literature differently? Oh, God. I mean, you know, I am the biggest... I'm a big fan of Vikram Seth. So I think Vikram Seth really changed my life. You know, just the, the language, beauty of Vikram's language. So, you know, I mean, so everything from Rushdie to Seth um, to recent incredible voices like Nisha Susan, who if you've not read her new collection of, of, of short stories, you really should. I read randomly, I read voraciously. Um, you know, so my reading is diverse. It spans fiction and nonfiction. It spans what might be considered highbrow and, uh, you know, uh, middlebrow uh, or popular. It spans uh, comics, graphic novels, uh, magazines. I also love magazines. <laughs> I love pulp. I think off late, uh, the real magic of reading, I think, in, even in Indian uh, uh, in Indian writing is in translations and it's in the range of different voices which are coming up. So, or whether it's a Cobalt Blue, which is extraordinary that Sachin Kundalkar wrote in Marathi, but Jerry Pinto translated, or like voices like that of Revathi, who wrote a life in trans activism, 
or the range of voices that Amaya Sharma chronicles in her nonfiction book. So I think it's very, very important that, and what's exciting right now are the range of voices that are coming out across all over the country from different regions, um, either through translation uh, or writers sharing different experiences beyond, say, urban or like, you know, the main big city India experiences. Actually, I remembered a brilliant book which I read recently. It's a queer narrative written by Hansda Savendra Shekhar, you know, My Father's Garden. I really like that book. And I, I, I think that now, even in Indian fiction, a lot of stories are coming across as authentic. You know, earlier, of course, we know that these tales would not be, uh, maybe they would not be published. I don't know, maybe it's the gatekeeping. But now I'm happy that finally stories are coming out um, into the open. Yeah, in fact, I have an excerpt from Hansda's book in, uh, you know, in the last, in the second last chapter of Queeristan, where I talk about some of this queer writing. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Hearing you speak about all of this brought a smile to my face. And I think it's so important to read um, across genres, read, as you said, highbrow, uh, middlebrow, whatever we want to call it, because it just opens up your mind and it just it exactly transports you to different worlds. So coming back to your writing space, you know, uh, obviously you have a very busy job, uh, you're involved in advocacy. So how do you manage your time and when do you, when did you actually do the writing for both your books? Now, Kweristan, I've written around my life, you know, wherever, whenever, between work, around work, um, often at work. <laughs> I wrote Kweristan in a year in which I was traveling a lot. So a lot of it was written in hotel rooms, on the road. Um, a lot of it was looking at old columns or looking at like, you know, things that I'd written and kept stored away and bringing it back and seeing how it can kind of weave in and out of the narrative that I was trying to create. Uh, it was constructed very much with great intent. So if you see my original plans for Kyrgyzstan, it is very much an Excel sheet. But I like to visualize. So I like to draw out the entire book and like look at it in front of me, you know, in rows and columns. And I kind of like to see that flow. The editing process is also different because Kweristan is written as a book where the chapters are very kind of, it flows, but also there are parts of the book where especially the first 10 chapters, and you can replace any chapter in any order and it still stands. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We love the structure of the book. And I was just thinking about, you know, like how you used Excel sheets to, you know, work around your plot, because that is something that I recommend to writers as well, you know, in my online classes. And and then the writers say that they have never seen their work in that way, because when you look at it in a Word document, it's very different yeah. that from, you know, when you see it in an Excel sheet. So I'm really glad that, uh, you know, that's actually your process. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's not underestimate the power of Excel. <laughs> yeah. Or just organizing. And I think maybe it's different for fiction. And I've not written fiction, so I don't know. Um, this romantic idea of sitting with a pen and paper and seeing what flows. And then with my publishers, it was about changing a bunch of things. So what is actually now the prologue in, in the book as of now is actually chapter three when I submitted the manuscript. So it's decisions like that, uh, which I thought were very exciting. It's so interesting to see, you know, how, how much work goes behind a book. Um, and there's years and years and reshuffling as an, an editor. You know, I see some of that. So it's super fascinating uh, that you shared all of this. And I also really like that you sort of included manuals. So, you know, whether it's terminology or rules, 
So we were wondering what are some of the weirdest, most bizarre myths that you have tried to bust in this book? <laughs> I don't know, but I get keep on getting asked all these questions all the time, right? You know, I talk to other companies all the time about why they should be inclusive. And people ask such strange things. People will say, like, for example, if you say, you know, now most progressive companies in India offer gender affirmation surgery as a standard benefit to employees, right? Um, so many companies do it, which means that if any employee joins you and wants to transition to another gender, your company's health policies pay for it. So you up to the same amount of insurance that you offer any other employee. So this is not nothing extra. And what the companies, most progressive companies in India do in extra is give an additional maybe 60,000 rupees per annum, etc. for hormones, because that is an ongoing expenditure. If anyone's listening and your company doesn't offer this, please ask for it. So over there, like so many people, when, you know, when I will say, oh, what if so many trans people join us just so that they can do this gender affirmation surgery? Oh my God. <laughs> now Wait, it's, Seriously. Yeah. And then I have to tell them, oh. you know, this is very, you know, first of all, it's really good if so many trans people join you. So you should feel very proud. If a lot of people want to go for gender, gender affirmation surgery, then that's good. But I think what you will find mostly is that it's not like tomorrow you decide and, you know, day after you do the surgery. These things take time. You need to go through counseling. You need to go through evaluation. There's an entire process that you go through before you decide to affirm your gender. You have to explain to people that this is not something that is uh, uh, that people do on a whim. So I can say, well, how about framing it in this way? Tomorrow, if you are saying that my company offers six-month maternity leave, uh, which actually right now is mandatory, will you then say, what if so many women join me just so that they can take the six months maternity benefits and become pregnant? No, no. <laughs> that's a good one. Yes. Because that's kind of silly, right? But people don't understand. Yeah. So you have to explain lovingly that, you know, uh, this is a this is something that you offer women because, you know, uh, women go through maternity. No one will join you just to claim these benefits. And I do it with love and humor. Um, I think this kind of education is required because some people just don't see it um, for what it is. And, uh, you know, so we were curious, uh, both of your books offer a very, very good insight into the whole LGBTQ movement. So we wanted to know what are your thoughts about queer narratives written by people who are not queer? Of course, it's very important to have queer narratives written by queer people. Um, but I'm very okay with um, queer people you know, non-queer people writing queer narratives. I'm okay with queer people writing non-queer narratives. You know, I think as long as there is uh, research done, there is sensitivity, there is, uh, you know, a genuine attempt to engage um, and understand, I'm okay. What I want to see are more and more diverse narratives. Uh, does it make an impact if, a queer, if queer people rewrite our own stories? Certainly. Um, and, you know, do I want to see more and more queer people writing our own stories? For sure. Do I want to see infrastructures of possibility that make that happen? Uh, certainly. If you see that in popular media as well. So if you see an Aligarh, for example, right, it's such a powerful story because Apurva Asrani, um, you know, who, who wrote it is, is queer himself. If you see Ek Larki Ko Dekha To Aisa Laga, um, it's such a moving story because Ghazal Dhaliwal, the scriptwriter, is queer, right? So when, when we queer people tell our own stories in whichever format, I think, you know, we tell diverse stories, we tell a range of stories. 
So I would like to see more and more of that. Um, but I don't want to stop anyone in that sense. I think everyone should write about um, everything. Like I'm seriously considering um, writing my next book about straight people. And I hope straight people don't say that, you know, I should wow. write about them. Looking, no, no, looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I want to call it straightest time. <laughs> nice. I think really, I want to look at straight people in, you know, the straight country. <laughs> I would imagine it. Oh, wait, we're living in it. Are there any plans for you to write fiction? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I think a real world is so much more surreal than anything I could conjure up. Uh, just look all around you. Uh, so I don't know of, you know, I don't know what fiction I would or could write. Um, have I thought about it? Yes. Uh, will I do it? I don't know. I think I'm just about getting the hang of and really enjoying nonfiction. So why don't we discuss the titles in the book, um, Parmesh? They were really interesting. So, uh, you know, what was the thought process behind it and why why those titles? So the titles were were funny, were, were meaningful, were calls to action, right? So there's a whole chapter called, but no token rainbows, please, we want jobs, not your Instagram filters, right? So even the titles are like conversations and calls to actions. You know, the prologue is if the BBC says I'm gay, it must be true, which is from a part of my own life. Um, yes, that was that was one of my favorite titles out of all. And likewise, the cover, the cover design, you know, the cover which Gavin Morris did, who at this point, my favorite cover designer in the world, which is kind of like a refracted rainbow, right? Like, you know, you refract the rainbow into even more colors and it kind of wraps around in a 3D way. And the word Queeristan is big and bold and in your face. And we did that with great intent because the original plan was, of course, that the book will release um, in a world in which there was no pandemic. And considering it's Westland Business's first book, the plan was really to be out there, to be at airport bookstores, to be, you know, hopefully on holdings, to be out there with this big, fat Queeristan font in your face saying that LGBTQ inclusion in the Indian workplace. So if you read the book or you don't, the message you get is, we are here, we are queer, we are in your face. And so the idea is to, you know, to not just think about text uh, and subtext, but as a creator to think about all these things. And with this book, um, I, along with Westland, I have really thought about all these things, right? What do we want to say with the book? What is beneath the surface, right? On the surface, it's a business book. But beneath the surface, subtext of the book is intersectionality, is uh, imagining a better world altogether, is solidarity. And paratext, which is all the conversations that we're having around the book, are also with great intent to change people's minds and move them towards action. I really like, I really enjoyed writing, but I also, I must say, I really enjoy designing and being part of the project around designing all these various elements of the book. It's really, really given me a high. <laughs> yeah, messaging and packaging is something that, you know, at Bound, we always think about because all of these things really do matter. So it's really interesting the way that you guys thought about the entire thing. So our last question is, you know, obviously we can't ignore the pandemic. And so, you know, how would you translate some of the tips or the things that you've written about in your book to this sort of new workplace environment, um, you know, work from home and something that we are going to be facing for the foreseeable future? You know, pre-pandemic, this book would have been like a sweet book to read or a nice thing. 
um, offer anyone in HR or anyone in business, um, you know, who's interested. It might have been the cherry on the cake, but I think now post COVID, this book is the cake um, because one has to realize that, you know, the pandemic has changed our world fundamentally. And, uh, you know, organizations are going to have to evolve to stay relevant and actually quite honestly to stay alive. And, you know, I'm talking about LGBTQ, but there are other dimensions of inclusion, right? People with disabilities, PWD, uh, caste, uh, a, you know, age, uh, regional. There's so many other uh, dimensions of inclusion that organizations need to be thinking of. Can we have organizations in which we have 50% uh, women, for example? Uh, you know, including at senior levels of leadership. It was just a couple of days back that I read this article on Scroll, you know, um, written by Deepak Krishnan. He's a really talented writer. And he mentioned that um, until now, he had never revealed to anybody about his hearing problem, you know, but now that he had to take classes online, he actually had to reveal that. And he said it was really difficult to do that because, you know, we, you know, people who are able to, we can record online, we can do things, we can work from home, but it's very tough for people who can't. So that was a big eye opener. And I absolutely agree with you, Parmesh, that now it is vital. And if now we don't do that, it's just, you know, uh, I mean, workplaces are not going to survive. And the ones that do, are going to thrive. So Parmesh, uh, now it's the fun section of the podcast and you are a really fun person to talk to. So I really hope you enjoy this rapid fire round. Is there a hamper? <laughs> Is it going to be yes, big? Yes, we, <laughs> yes we, do, we do have, um, you know, a books and beyond with bound hamper. Um, Does it have dark chocolate? <laughs> no, I mean, okay. uh, what, what kind of dark chocolate? What kind of dark chocolate do you like? Well, anything that's more than seventy-five percent dark. Oh wow! Okay, I think yeah, Tara. What about you? What is your favorite chocolate like? I love Ferrero Rocher. I like I like everything to do with I like chocolate. I like candy. I like every single. Wow. I like all sweet no. tooth. <laughs> I, I don't like sweet tooth. No. <laughs> I like my men, my coffee, and my chocolate dark. Uh, like like that. <laughs> wow, nice line, nice line. Okay, okay. That one book you absolutely hate. I don't hate books. I love. I, I can't hate books. I don't hate books. <laughs> I can't. Okay, okay. Uh, that, that, that answer, okay. I'm not gonna read a hamper. Oh no. Okay, next. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, there's one book that you feel is underrated. Beyond the beautiful forevers, the Catherine book. I love it so much. Yeah, I, li- I like that book. Yeah. What is your pet peeve? My pet peeve is people saying, let me play devil's advocate for a moment and then derailing the progressive idea I presented to them. I just want them to stop. I feel that. Yeah. Yes. That is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So fashion or travel? Uh, Both. (laughs) God, I miss both. No, but you have to pick one. You have to pick one. (laughs) Travel, travel, travel. Because I'm like, I'm... I'm just super stylish already. I don't need to be fashionable. I'm just inherently stylish. So I'll just travel with my inherently stylish self. Okay, so culture lab or books? Both. I mean, you know, it's like, I can't I can't choose. Uh, you know, both. Yeah. Queer literature or queer cinema? Right now, I, th- I think queer literature is incredible. I think queer cinema is getting there. But, you know, uh, in India, queer literature, for sure. Okay, and the last question. Your top three pandemic reads. Oh, my top three pandemic reads, Anisha Susan's, um, you know, the women who invented Facebook and other stories, great short stories, Mikhail Bas, Muscular India, 
incredible nonfiction. And I would say, you know, um, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed reading um, all of Sharanya Manivanan's poetry. There's something just so soothing about Sharanya's work, Sharanya's poetry, Sharanya's, uh, you know, fantasy. Her prose. Yeah, well, her prose, her prose as well. Um, but, you know, but I would say anything about Sharanya because I just read it and my, you know, I can measure it because I have an oximeter. And like, you know, I just go down 20 points after reading one page. <laughs> uh, it's just so big. Yes, yes. Her, her, yes, exactly. Her writing is is powerful. Thank you so much for speaking to us, uh, Parmesh. I mean, we could talk to you for hours and hours. It's just so much fun from Bollywood to, uh, you know, literature to fashion to everything. I mean, it was, I think, one of the most fun conversations we had. So thank you so much, Parmesh. It was a delight to talk to you are during the pandemic, especially. Yes, thank you so much. Mary. And keep up the great work that y'all are doing. I'm, I'm such a fan and thank you for calling me. Tara, I wish that conversation lasted longer. I really didn't want it to stop. He is so much fun. Yeah, really. And I can't wait for our next episode where we're going to be speaking to one of our favorite authors, both Michelle and I, favorite authors, Ria Mukherjee, who is the author of The Body Myth. So this is a landmark book in India because it covers mental health, polyamory, among other topics. So we spoke to Ria about, you know, how one writes, what one doesn't know and many other things. And she's also been a mentor at Bounds Retreat. So it's specially special for us. And she's been Michelle's mentor for a very long time. And the episode is releasing on Michelle's birthday. So Michelle, how, how did it feel to record with her? I I don't know, Tara. It's like a dream come true. I still can't believe it. And uh, I mean, it's a very special moment for me uh, because you and Ria have been the biggest cheerleaders in my journey, you know, and it's very, very important when you're going on a creative path because it's highly unpredictable. But thank you so much for the support. My pleasure. And as Ria said, we wish you the best of luck in getting your book. Thank you, Tara. So tune in next time to find out what Ria does and how she manages to do so much. So as always, we are looking for book recommendations. We are on Instagram at Bound Podcast. Please do send in your feedback and let us know what you're reading right now. And also, if you guys are looking for online classes about writing, that is Bound Specialty. So do check us out on www.boundindia.com and look at our online classes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us.